0: Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We've got three martinis here for you today. Um, one of them's definitely good. One of them is definitely crazy. And we're pretty sure one of them's bad. Um, the, the middle one's a, a little bit of a, a question mark, but we're pretty sure it's bad. Let's start with the good martini, Jim, before we get to the second round of the First Democratic debate, CNN. The House on Thursday passed a $4.6 billion Senate bill to send emergency funding to the border, a vote that triggered outrage from progressives who objected to the legislation and an outpouring of emotion on the House floor. The measure, which passed 305 to 102... We'll next go to the White House for President Donald Trump's signature. The vote provoked intense Democratic infighting and came after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi backed down from an effort to make changes to the legislation, saying instead that the House would reluctantly, her word, take up the Senate bill to get resources to the children fastest. That announcement marked a reversal from her previous calls to reconcile the Senate bill with a measure passed by the House that progressives argued would have done far more to protect migrant children In government custody. So, as you just heard, the progressives don't like it, particularly because they wanted to negotiate against the Senate bill, which passed 84 to 8 the other day. Here's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez explaining why she's not happy about this at all.
1: But the problem right now and the question at hand right now is that Mitch McConnell sent us a bill and we're just putting a big check mark on it instead of even trying to negotiate. I have indicated that I'm willing to stay here. I don't need to go home on vacation. I don't need to mm-hmm. go home to July 4th weekend. I will stay here all weekend to make sure that we get this thing done. And instead, what Mitch McConnell is doing is that he's relying on the time pressure of recess to try to ram through a bill that is completely irresponsible to the American people. And to those kids on the board.
0: I believe that was on CNN. And if you thought she was fired up, her chief of staff was even more fired up, ended up having to delete this tweet, which said, quote, instead of fiscally conservative but socially liberal, Let's call the new Democrats and the Blue Dog Caucus the new Southern Democrats. They certainly seem hellbent to do to black and brown people today what the old Southern Democrats did in the 40s. So, Jim, just when you think that only the right has infighting, the Democrats prove that's not true again. And in the end, the Republican bill with no changes gets done here.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the probably most interesting upshot of all this is At what point do other House Democrats start getting really irritated with not just Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but I think you could probably put Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib in this category? John who used to run the, I guess he still runs the liberal blog, America blog. Way back in the day, I used to be on CNN with him. And, you know, the guy was down the line liberal. There's no way about that. Nice enough guy, though. But the other day he tweeted, I'm really getting tired of these three freshmen and how they end up creating headaches for the entire Democratic Party. And every time they do this, we have to rush to defend them instead of saying, yeah, they just don't know what they're talking about. As you can, He said this on Twitter. You can only imagine the kind of re- you know, response that he got. But if he's thinking it, it, my suspicion is that other people are thinking it. And let's think about what the Democratic message on this issue could very well have been. It could have been that the way we are treating these people is not in keeping with our values. You can argue that it is being very poorly administrated. You could say the allegations of abuse and mistreatment are an abomination. And there are a lot of things you could have said that would have been a fairer and more legitimate complaint. And AOC had to burst through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and say, concentration camps. And everyone, of course, immediately thought of the Holocaust. And then, of course, she said, no, I didn't mean concentration camps like that. But Eventually, the Simon Wiesenthal Center had to step in, or I think it was the Anne Frank Foundation, It got real bad real fast, and I think it went down roads the Democratic Party did not want to go down, because as bad as the situation is, the point is we're not running death camps on our southern border. We're trying to deal with a very serious humanitarian crisis, waves of migrants coming over the border, many of them children. What we need is to start telling the countries in Central America, you cannot come here. We are not giving out the permisos, as the rumor was back in the Obama years. Having a child does not guarantee you asylum. You are risking your life. By coming here, we don't want to see any more dead young girls whose fathers attempted to cross the Rio Grande. That would have been a very strong and powerful message. And instead, AOC took them down there. I think Pelosi recognized this was not a situation where they could hold up a relief bill, a bill to help manage the crisis down there much longer. And, you know, at some point, somebody in the Democratic Party is going to say to AOC, look, you've been here for about 20 minutes. You don't know how any of this stuff works. You don't know how this. Stop undermining our leadership in public every single day get in line and, and, you know, start swimming in the same direction as everybody else. And the day that comes, man, it's going to be an ugly fight there, Greg. And you and I are just going to have to pop a lot of popcorn. <laughs> yeah,
0: a lot of that going on this week. And uh, hopefully the money is put to good use. It's used efficiently and effectively. And people are comfortable while they have their asylum claims heard. And we don't have to release them. And they can just disappear into the ether and not show up for their court hearing and, and things like that talked with a Republican member of Congress that said the original House bill here would have actually uh, cut back overtime pay for the Border Patrol and also limited funding for the National Guard in this situation. So the Senate bill, while I don't know a lot of the details other than the total price tag, seems to have been uh, a more realistic approach here, which is not surprising given who's most upset here.
1: Yeah, again, you know, first of all, if you're one of those other House Democrats who wasn't elected from a Deep Blue District. You're probably really tired of these three dominating the headlines in issue after issue. It's like it's not just they went to D.C. and focused on the Green New Deal or something like that. AOC manages to weigh in on every one of these issues, steering the party's messaging in a direction that the rest of the caucus probably preferred. Didn't.
0: All right. Let's move on to our second martini. Let's call it the bad. Kamala Harris seems to be the big winner from the second round of the first Democratic debate. There were more people that folks have actually heard of on the stage on Thursday night, including Vice President Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Kirsten Gillibrand. But Kamala Harris seems to be the one who thrives in this environment, Jim. And, uh, she's a former prosecutor, so being able to succinctly state her case and do it with some theatrical effect is it shouldn't come as a huge surprise. But she came out swinging and and never really stopped. And the moment that everybody's talking about here is when she went after Joe Biden on race issues. It was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. Jim, we'll see what the actual voters have to say or even the the upcoming polls. But the general consensus seems to be that Biden didn't have a particularly good night. And Harris did as a result of that answer and just being very forceful on a number of issues. Now, if you look at what she's actually saying, she wants to ban private health insurance, although this morning she said she thought the question was only meant pertaining to her own personal health insurance. And she's very, very far left on a number of things. So she's going to be a frightening president if she were to actually get elected. So the bad news here is she seems to have reinvigorated her campaign. We talked about this when she first announced that she could be tough, and she showed it again last night.
1: Yeah, I think if you're the Trump campaign, you really should be worried about Kamala Harris. Really surprising how Biden seemed not prepared for that attack. You figured at some point somebody was going to make that criticism. It was a really interesting contrast from the preceding night, where nobody really took any serious shots at Elizabeth Warren, I think it may very well be that a bunch of men in the Democratic Party do not know how to criticize a female figure without being accused of sexism. As a result of it, they don't do that. She went after Biden. She went after Biden in a topic that had been discussed pretty extensively so far. Greg, you and I have talked about Joe Biden has not done any Vox or CNN town halls. He's not done a lot of interviews. He hasn't sit down to do meet the press or anything like that. And I think Joe Biden was kind of rusty last night. I think he really was not at the top of his game. And I discussed how he, you know, went through his defenses in the the morning jolt. The interesting thing is he really was not interested in defending his position on busing at the time, which I think was actually a a pretty defensible one to say, look, whatever you think of, you know, what the policy should have been, at the time, it was exacerbating racial tensions. People who were not racist were really upset that their kids were being driven halfway across town to go to a different school, and that was, you know, making white parents who could otherwise be allies of the civil rights movement, you know, exacerbating racial hostility. Maybe you think it's an okay viewpoint today. Maybe you don't, but you know, better to do that than to come out and say, "Well, I never opposed busing," when in fact there are quotes from Joe Biden back in the 1970s, explicitly opposing busing, not just complaining that it was being administered by the Federal Department of Education. So yes, yeah, so he looked really rusty. I think she looked, she was really aggressive and it worked. She had done her homework. She was ready with the, uh, the canned one-liners, even the, you know, people don't wanna see a food fight. They wanna see us putting food on the table. By the way, Senator, it's not the job of the federal government to put food on your table. But, you know, then in the end, she had done her homework. She ate her Wheaties and she was ready for this. And I remember early on in this process, looking at the field saying, okay, you know, Kamala Harris, former prosecutor, California, uh, African-American heritage and woman. Yeah, that's, you know, that that checks a lot of boxes for Democrats. They could very well, you know, nominate her. And then in the last couple of weeks and months, she kind of Faded into the background. Her first CNN town hall didn't go well. She was open to the idea of felons voting. There were a bunch of situations where you're like, okay, you, know, you kind of wondered if maybe she wasn't really in the first tier. Maybe she was that top of the second tier category. Look, I think after last night, she's the frontier. I think Biden has better be ready. I think Sanders had better be ready if she decides to go after him. I think even Elizabeth Warren had better be ready. Uh, I think Kamala Harris, you know, she, she's demonstrated she will figure out what the person's weakness is and go on it and personalize it And she demonstrates toughness in this regard. And I think that's what Democrats want when they envision the Democratic nominee going up against Donald Trump. And I also, by the way, I don't like Trump could get nasty with Kamala Harris. I don't know how that would play. I also think that compared to the other candidates, you know, she she is as radical. If you want the Democratic Party to be as centrist as it can be or as least radical as it can be. First of all, last night was a major disappointment because basically everybody supports Eliminating private health insurance, or at least according to their hands, the the hands they raised. Now, Kamala Harris wants it both ways. Greg, this is the second time she's had this issue because she had the same thing in the CNN town hall. She was like, oh, shouldn't we just get rid of private insurance companies? Greg, how many times have you accidentally said you want to eliminate all private health insurance? (laughs) Zero. Right. Most of us, it's zero. For Kamala Harris, it's two. (laughs) <laughs> on some pretty big stages. Now, my suspicion is if your position is no, you don't accidentally say yes twice. <laughs> if you say yes twice, I think if, if nothing else, it's a Freudian slip that you're at least thinking about it. You're at least tempted by the idea. So this is a Democratic Party that wants to eliminate private health insurance effectively end immigration enforcement. If you get here, they don't want to send you back. They do not want they oppose every bit of the Trump policies to control illegal immigration. And oh, by the way, if you get here, you will get free health insurance. The, 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 you get health coverage, you, you get taken care of, and the U.S. taxpayer will pick up the check. Gee, what could happen with that? If you announce to the world, if you're sick, come to America, we'll take care of you for free, uh, we can only imagine the consequences that would flow out of that policy. So that's, that's this is what I think I should really should frighten the Trump campaign and other Republicans and stuff like that, is that I think Kamala Harris is an absolutely, you know, one tough cookie of a candidate. She was the one who clear, most clearly had a plan last night, and she went out and executed the plan, and that could take her quite far.
0: True. And no one was ready to push back, as you mentioned. Uh, Biden didn't really push back, except for a generic mention that he was a public defender, not a prosecutor. And I think if there's going to be an attack on Kamala Harris, it's going to be her record as a prosecutor and possibly California AG, because that's probably where her greatest vulnerability is with the Democratic base. But we'll see what folks come up with there. All right. Let's move on to the crazy martini now, Jim, because as intense as that exchange was with um, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, there's the exact opposite, because at the left end of the stage, as you looked at it, right end, as you were at the candidates, Marianne Williamson, who MSNBC just described as author uh, Mm -hmm. on the stage last night, new age author, as it turns out, she had some very interesting comments. She's a strong, fierce opponent of having a plan to really do anything, which was fascinating. Asked what her first act as president would be, was to call up the Prime Minister of New Zealand and say, girlfriend, your country is not the best place for a child to grow up. It's the United States. And then
1: Greg, Greg, aren't you just thrilled somebody's going to finally stick it to those New Zealanders? (laughs) Damn Kiwis. Always so high and mighty with their scenery and their hobbits and all that.
0: (laughs) That's got to be the first time a presidential candidate on the debate stage has used the word girlfriend in that uh, context. But here's her closing statement. She had 45 seconds to make it. Here's what she said. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field. And, sir, love will win. Jim, if love is a renewable energy, this whole debate could end. This is great. Uh, what do you make of Marianne Williamson and
1: her uh, <clears throat> approach to politics? Marianne, you beautiful lunatic you. <laughs> I, I, I am, I, 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 so there was this, you know, listeners of this podcast will remember 2015, 2016. I'm not thrilled with the rise of Trump. But I got the feeling that a lot of people, including more than a few left-of-center commentators, were just enjoying the show. And a lot of people who were apolitical were like, oh my God, are you watching this? It's worth noting that the ratings for the Fox News debate or that cycle were, I believe the record, and I believe that as good as they were for the Democrats last night, it was not as high. If you put both of them together, it still wasn't quite as high as uh, the Republican debates. But there was just kind of this sense of, wow, what is this person going to say next? They're nuts. You got to, you know, this is the... (laughs) almost Jerry Springer, you know, the transsexual has impregnated the hooker and they're all basically related. And, you know, as some comedians do, like, you're watching Jerry Springer and all of a sudden you're like, you call your friends. Are you watching this? Oh my God. They're, hit, they're punching each other. You know, that kind of freak show element, Marianne Williamson it was as if they'd left the stage door open and a crazy person just wandered up to that. There's so many like weird, bizarre metaphors that come to mind. My favorite is from my friend Cam, Greg, who said, Marianne Williamson is every Sarah McLachlan song lyric come to life. <laughs> Because you know, Greg, uh, the under the night sky, the moon woman is dancing, and the smoke signals of the howling of the moon. Oh my God! You know, there was, there was nothing, almost nothing about policy and all that stuff. We played the audio clip, but it's that little head bob of, of you know, love will win, that, that raised eyebrow, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mickey White was like, let, "Let's get you know, look out for Nikes and purple robes because the comet is coming." Uh, <laughs> It was, and here's the thing: is that you know, as somebody who's not particularly enamored with any of these Democratic candidates, the next time they have this debate, I think it's about a month, I'm really looking forward to what Marianne Williamson is going to say because you just have no idea what's going to be. By contrast, I mean think about like somebody like Michael Bennett, who was there last night. I do the the, the observation they say, you know, in polling, there's no such thing as the generic Democrat. In Colorado, Senator Michael Bennett, we found the generic Democrat. I mean, think about <laughs> these with political figures like this. Before they even begin the answer, you know what they're going to say, right? You already know the buzzwords. You already know the predictable tone. And I suspect that a certain segment of the American public tunes out people. Well, you know, to deal with this foreign policy potential threat, we need to work in a multilateral manner with our allies and coordinate with blah, 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 you know, all these answers that are you know safe, safe, safe then Marianne Williamson shows up on stage and all of a sudden there's nothing that's safe about her answer in fact they're bonkers but it's kind of riveting as I said it's like watching a hostage situation you just never know what's going to happen next and I don't know whether this translates into serious polling support but the you know the one, the one last interesting observation to throw in here look we're making a lot of fun of her and and this is, a lot of it does sound silly and, and new age crystal wearing and waving touchy-feely kind of stuff but you know you, you could look around this country if everything from school shootings to the suicide rate to uh, rates of depression, opioid addiction, otherwise drug addiction. You know, there, there is a strong argument there's something spiritually wrong with this country. There are a lot of people in this country who are troubled and, and something is, is lacking in our hearts. Something is lacking in our spirits. When Trump says make America great again, people feel like there's something in the past. People might have different ideas about what that moment was where America was great, but that sense that we've lost something. Maybe it's a sense of community. Maybe it's a sense of connection. Maybe it's a sense of trust with all of our neighbors and our community and our fellow citizens. And this is touchy-feely stuff. And on the one hand, it's not necessarily the kind of thing that can necessarily be easily addressed with matters of policy. Maybe this is something a president needs to be able to address and, and get into. So again, Marianne Williams is probably not the right person to uh, to analyze this. But you know, she's she's asking the kind of uh, she's raising the kind of you know, esoteric, not so tangible issues that I think might resonate with a lot of people. Which Democrats do you like, Jim? Yeah, I kind of like Marianne Williamson. And we'll just one last thought on last night's debate. It's just really a shame, Greg, that uh, Andrew Yang couldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. He, he
0: actually answered questions in, in short phrases like he was asked to. And so what did he get, about three minutes out
1: of uh, two hours? Three, hour, three three minutes out of two hours, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I even had thought of, because having watched one or two, look, I don't really like, I, I wouldn't vote for Andrew Yang, but he does have like a hundred different proposals on his website. With those 100, it's not hard to find, like, 15, you think, are not that bad. And, you know, he's a guy who clearly has thought about these things. I think he's thought about these things and not really paid much attention to the Constitution and what it requires and stuff like that. But nonetheless, he's thought about, you know, the health of the news industry and stuff like that and the Internet and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, again, it would have been I would have enjoyed hearing more from him and less of the, you know, shouted talking points from Kirsten Gillibrand. <laughs> Boy, the, the Tracy Flick comparisons just burst off the screen yesterday. But uh, but anyway, yeah, so that was the night, Greg. And I don't know about you. I'm, I'm really glad I, I don't have three straight nights of staying up till midnight.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not going to miss the Democrats tonight or any in the next few weeks. Uh, I think you made a good point on Marianne Williamson. I think there definitely is a need for a spiritual reawakening. I don't think the politicians are the ones who are going to lead that, at least if it's going to be effective. But uh, we will see uh, going forward uh, whether she gets a buzz out of this. She was searched a lot last night. Uh, Doesn't necessarily translate to a lot of support, but we'll find out if she's on that stage again at the end of July. So, Jim, I'm actually off next week. You will be here. Uh, Greg Knapp and Rich McFadden will be filling in for me. Enjoy the time, and I'll catch you a week from Monday.
1: All right. Happy Fourth of July between now and then, Greg.
0: Thank you. You too. Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Hey, make sure you like us and uh, give us a nice review on iTunes if you do like us. And uh, we'll be back with you on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.